Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the What Have You Been Up To podcast. On today's episode, I'll be talking with Zach, a good friend of mine that I haven't seen since high school. We discuss how Zach turned his passion for aquatics into a career and how he uses that passion to teach and help those around him every day. Thanks for listening in. We started, we on? We're live. Oh, wow, we're live. All right, I'm here with David Zachary Bush. My man, Mac. What's up, man? It's so good to see you, bro. It's great to see you too, <laughs> brother. How you been? Oh, man, I've been good. I've been blessed. I've been blessed. I see you've been blessed. I've been blessed, brother. I've been blessed. I'm yeah. so happy to see you here. Man, it's good to be here. It's been probably close to 10 years since I've seen you. Yeah, yeah, it's been a long time. Um, Orland Park was a long time ago. Yes, sir. You know what I mean? So it's been a long time. Yeah, so. So what have you been up to? That's a good question. Um, it's a great question. <laughs> I think a lot's happened. Man, business. I started a couple of businesses. I've been uh, honestly just kind of engulfed in my passion. As an entrepreneur, you know, I've been, I've been challenged. I've been getting through all the challenges. Yeah, I've just been learning a lot every single day and just keeping the faith, but. And your, your passion is really around aquatics, fish. Yeah, so. Aside from other things, but I know that's, that's kind of what we grew up on when yeah. we kind of connected in high school. Mm -hmm. I had a couple of fish tanks. Man. Remember that? I almost forgot about that. Yeah, man. I think that was the first thing, like the first conversation that we actually had. You reached out to me about that, and from there we just, it was just an endless conversation. Because yeah. you were one of the first guys that I met out there that liked the music that I liked. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> For one. But yeah, I went through a lot and was going through a lot when I was in that part of town at that high school specifically. And you were one of the guys that encouraged me, you know, and, and, um, you know, you were inspiring, you and Trey. You know, you guys were you guys were the uh the one rap group. You know, <laughs> like but yeah, so I basically taken that passion for nature in general and I've been able to create a community organization around the science of uh marine life, marine biology, aquatic science, and anything to do with fish and sharks. That is so cool, man. Thanks, man. So the name of the first business is Musicquaria. And I, um, I started that <clears throat> for the kids at Bogan High School at my time as the digital learning coordinator. There were a lack of like just general resources and there was a lack of clubs that were catching the kids' interests. Yeah. And Bogren High School is one of, uh, it's a challenged, um, it's a challenged school. Yeah. Getting the kids engaged. After um, school activities. Yeah, after even, school. Even during school, right? Even during yeah. school, homerooms and things like that. So while I was doing the school's digital work, digital marketing website and uh, network and communications, I was forming different clubs, creating different clubs I even threw in another one of my passions, which was uh, videography and audio visual. So 
we created two clubs at that point in time um, just for the kids. And actually, I think all this started because it was denied. Uh, Musicquaria was denied over and over and over, timeless amounts. And it was extremely discouraging because on the news you hear about everyone cares about Chicago and the kids and right. this and that and the third. People are donating millions of dollars, but the kids don't even have basic books and technology within the schools that no one even bothers to step foot in that has the potential to change it. So um, it was a passion project. Yeah, It was a, a club, an after-school club that turned into something bigger only because of the impact that it had started to make on social media. And then in turn, after I got my first contract with Chicago Public Schools to um, take over basically an after-school program recently. So yeah, we've been doing that for maybe four years. I've been going in and out of schools, just teaching them about aquatic science. Um, I wrote up a curriculum from my experience. That's amazing, man. Thank you, man. That's Thank so you. cool, dude. This is the first time that I honestly, genuinely, Meg, like, I'm actually kind of reflecting on what's been done because I, I just wrapped up a contract with CPS and yeah. it, it was just enough to get the job done. And honestly, like, I tapped into myself, but... I hope it feels good to reflect on. Exactly, yeah. It, I, it, it's one of those things where I didn't really realize the impact until... I guess recently. Yeah, so I've really been doing that and I had to learn how to kind of, I slimmed down in terms of my ideas. Uh, I'm the kind of guy, you have a conversation with me and like a lot of people, they say things like, wow, you got a lot going on. But yeah. to me, it's not necessarily a lot going on because I don't know what else I would be doing if I wasn't thinking about these things. Yeah. I uh, feel you on that to yeah. a, a level that I can't even put into words. You know, so yeah, so it started with me getting denied, me chasing principals at my school, at different schools. Do you know why it was denied? Was it funding or funding, quote unquote, or was it? wasn't it? even funding and it was a sad part. And I can be open about this too. It was, so it was denied due to politics. Okay. And there's deep politics. Like everything else. Yeah. <laughs> it was denied due to politics. And it had to do with money allocation. And this is a program that didn't necessarily need money. It just needed the okay. A space within the school. And that's all you really need to teach kids. You know, um, I bring in animals from literally all over the world. And they're actually from my first business that I created, which is the aquarium warehouse. And that's where I install aquariums. Yeah. I import fish from all over the world. How long have you been doing that for? And I've been in the aquarium industry professionally, I will say for, well, actually my first job was in an aquarium store. My first job, I was, 15 and I'm 29 now. Where was that? I wonder so, if I know it. Yeah, it was in uh, Midlothian. Jason from Animal Island. I think I've been there before because I've been to a lot of the. It. There's not a lot of aquatic stores in our in our southwest suburb there's area. Not, yeah. Um. So I feel like everybody knows each other. And yeah. Growing you do. up, I used to be at the stores all the time. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure we've already talked about that when yeah. we were younger. Like, but yeah. So uh, Jason from Animal Island gave me my first job. 
you know, I used to, I used to do all the dirty stuff, like cleaning all the dead fish, mm -hmm. fixing filters, bagging up fish. And, uh, the fun part. Yeah, you know, all the nitty gritty. But the crazy thing was, since it was something that I was so genuinely interested and passionate about, it didn't feel like I was taking out the garbage. It didn't right. feel like I was, you know, cleaning up and and taking care of like the dirty things. It just it just seemed like I was kind of I don't even know. You don't really stop to think about hard parts as much when you're doing something that you're passionate about right. because your passion and your enthusiasm for it just kind of leads you through the difficult times. But I had done that for so long and I had got to the point where I was supplying, you know, fish stores, local fish stores with the live fish that I would be getting from different negotiations and sales from, you know, markdowns within the store that I would work at. I would then take the fish. Sometimes I would heal fish that were like half dead. Yeah. Nurse them back to health and then sell them. And flipping fish. Yeah, I was literally flipping fish <laughs> and you know, it was almost like I didn't want people to know about that at one point in time because Did it feel it, wrong? It it didn't feel so yeah, there's that the PETA approach and things like that. For me, I really genuinely do care about the animals and so that's why I literally I don't take on many clients with aquariums honestly because most people see it as a dollar value as opposed to an animal yes. that necessarily wasn't my thing back then for me it was like it just didn't work because it didn't work socially and that's what i cared about i'm not gonna lie when i was younger you know high school trying to fit in i was flipping fish when everyone was at the school dances yeah yeah um, I still went to him and I was still a, a guy that spoke to everyone and yeah. things like that, but I didn't necessarily chase the social scene. Right. I was constantly researching, um, constantly on YouTube and just constantly like using my hands and my craft for whatever reason. And, and I guess the reason is to get me to where I am now. But yeah, I wasn't... I never really opened up about like me being super into the sciences and things like that up until, I mean, now I, I get paid from it, but. I, I feel like there, there's a few questions I have for you. Mm -hmm. One is going back to the reflecting on what you've done over yeah. like the last four to five years. We'll, mm -hmm. we'll get to that, I think. And why you've struggled to reflect on it. Is it, is it you know, something you just haven't stopped and gave yourself credit for is is there other factors around that? So I'd love to know more about that. And and the second thing about the social pressure, I guess, growing up in the school we went to with yeah. so many kids and everybody doing different things, like mm -hmm. what made you withdraw from you know advocating for what you love and discussing the things that you were really passionate about because you weren't chasing the social clout, yeah. so. What, what made you kind of timid around that situation, if you will? So I'll answer the second part first. I guess the thing that made me timid was, you know, when, you, when you're really passionate about something and you take it that serious, you know, it's, it, it's a sensitive topic. Right. You know, like, and I honestly think that the things that you're most sensitive about 
and not necessarily defensive because that's something that you have to work on, right. but something that you're like, and I'll give you an example. Like I literally, I wouldn't post an aquarium if it had algae in it. It's like that like perfect Instagram life type thing. I guess so. Yeah. I got to a point where I was recording, you know, I was into documentaries and things like that, but like personally recording all of the aquariums and art pieces, I consider them as art pieces. So that because they're so beautiful. Thank you, man. I appreciate yeah. that. You know, you work on the craft, but then there's a time in your life where you are in like you're creating art now. You know what I mean? After you've put in so much time and I still don't think that I'm there. I, there's so much uh, more people that are better than me, but I think the thing with me is, since I'm so sensitive about my work, it's hard to put into words, but I would much rather just hoard it. it yeah. is, and I had to work on being productive, showing my progress. But yeah, when it's, when it's something sensitive, you're able to leverage that enthusiasm um, yeah, I, I, I want I want to challenge you on that though. Yeah, I feel like you need to 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 just be who you are, man. Like I, you're, you've always been that person. I've never I've never looked at you and were like, you know, there's something that you know he's holding back or anything like that. Yeah. And it's like, dude, you're a genuinely amazing person and oh, doing great work. That. Like, let it out. You know, thank what I'm you saying? for that. Yeah, and I think that that's officially where I'm at. Good. And once. I started to do that, uh, more, more and more doors unlocked. So, you know, there's the, you know, as a man, you can challenge yourself to be productive, you know what I mean? And, you know, reach higher heights. And I've challenged myself in terms of all the things that I went to school for. I'm in a position where I'm also working within my passion of mentorship but it's like the things that aren't on paper, the things that you know you deem like the artistic side of yourself, they take a little bit more time to evolve, right. you know, and it just it takes time. You got to peel back all of the the anxiety that comes with saying, "Hey, this came from my mind, yeah. and I think this idea is good enough." And as I continue, you know, that's just where I find myself. It's an everyday, constant thing. You know. Yeah, I struggle. I struggle with that with this podcast. It's a creative outlet, right? And it's why do why do people want to watch this? You know, why do yeah. people want to pay attention to it? Um, what am I going to talk about? How's but it going to look it. like? Yeah, and that's the cool part, right? Yeah, like that's that's where you you sit back and you're like, well, it's out there now. Like once I released, you know, yeah, first and episode. then and from there you can build on it. So no, you're absolutely right, and I accept that challenge. Um, and I will continue to accept that challenge, Mac, man, because, yeah, that's, that's an everyday thing is the doubt that you go through as an entrepreneur. So I think that to say all of that, I think it's just the doubt that, you know, you think there's, there's better people out there or that necessarily wasn't my thing. My thing was this isn't good enough. Yeah. And that has been something that like I struggle with but you know confidence within your own art comes within time so yeah I think ultimately the kids that I'm mentoring have brought out the confidence when I hear them speak about you know the videos that they've seen me post yeah. or like I'm like wow like 
Oh, Mr. Bush, we it's people speaking all types of languages looking at your videos. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. And I think that is when I finally started to realize, you know, I mean, I always knew I had something special and I hate to, I don't talk about myself. I hate to talk about these types of things. Hey, man, that's what you're here for today, though. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry, man, but you're going to have to. Yeah. Use the but, medium, bro. Just use it. <laughs> but um, I'll say... Don't be humble here. 55 minutes of non-humbling experiences coming up from Mr. Yeah, Bush. <laughs> I'll say that, you know, when I realized that I had made an impact and that it was changing people's lives, that's when I stopped and was able to to encourage myself to keep going because I think that, I mean, that's what life is about. You have to encourage people and, and also lift as you climb. So like, if you see someone that's trying to do something, help them out. You know, I love that, that lift as you climb. Yeah. I love that. You know, and that's cause uh, you might not be in the position to be climbing right now, but you can be helping out. Exactly. And I think that's why I am where I am because so many people have helped me lift as I climb. So I really, that's what I do, you know, in Chicago. Yeah, I'm, I'm a part of multiple mentorship programs because I'm a product of so many mentorship programs. You know, the, the people in my life growing up made sure that I stayed active within different resources in the community, such as the Chicago Urban League, there was a goal power program where one of the Bears players, Adewale Agunlia, actually, yeah, yeah, he actually took a group of kids all around the city. He taught us professionalism. He taught us business and entrepreneurship. Yeah. And that was one of the things that stuck with me. And actually, Adewale is a prince from his homeland. He's a prince over there. And Where's he... he from? I, and I'm I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna say it because um, I'm not 100% sure yeah, yeah, what yeah. country he's from. Yeah. But I just know that he's a prince, and that was extremely humbling. He didn't, and that's not something that he came out and told everyone. That right. was something that he said after the fact, after he's taken us and exposed us to, you know, boats and you know Bentleys and things like that. And it wasn't. It was extremely humbling because it was all informative. But after he took us through, you know, he slightly mentioned that. And um, I just, I think that that's what it's all about, man. People don't forget um, how you made them feel. People don't forget what you taught them, especially kids. So I think that was a, a really like influential mentor that I had. One of many mentors that I've had, but programs like that, they don't, they're far and few in the city, South, Chicago, North Chicago, Waukegan, there's a lack of those types of resources. So I cling to organizations that help the youth. And I always have I volunteered in Chicago public schools uh, for 10 plus years in which they actually created a position for me. That is amazing, dude. Thank you, man. And that, um, that was really special. Man, do you ever just sit and think, like, this is that goes back to the reflection question, man. Like, is it hitting you a little bit right now? Like, do you, do you, do you pat yourself on the back sometimes? Because you've, you've done so much, man. No, man. And I don't even feel right hearing you say that. But, you know. Uh, but you have. You put in the work. You've made impact on, on, on these kids' lives. It's evident. It's not 
a small sample size. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I genuinely appreciate that. Like, just the observation, man. Like, and maybe this is what I needed, you know. Um, maybe I needed to hear a friend say that. You know what I mean? It can help you. It, it can help you keep going sometimes, too. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, I've struggled with it, too. Yeah. I've struggled with it, too, in the past. And to, to add to what I'm saying, um, I... I was struggling to figure out where to give my time, how to give my time, and I, I saw you pop up on LinkedIn back in February, mm -hmm. and you had started this youth guidance role. Yeah. Which we'll get into with uh, becoming a man, I believe, is the organization. Yeah, becoming a man. Damn. And I was like, <laughs> I hit you up. I'm like, how do I get involved? And you know, you 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 said once I get going, you can come to my classroom or exactly. office. And I'm still so I'm I'm yeah. more than happy to do that. It's but man, happen. you inspired me to to look at options. And I actually <laughs> just reached out recently to. Um, Big Brothers and Big Sisters of Chicago. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, but that's because of you, man. Aww. No, I'm serious. It was because of you. <laughs> I was like, it's like, I, I, I was like, how can I help out around here? Right? Yeah. I feel like I have something to give. Oh, man. What can I do? Oh, of course, up, bro? brother. Of course, man. That's what's up. And I still want to, I want to help out with becoming a man. Yeah, I you're going to. Involved to. And, yeah. But tell us about it. What What is that about? How'd you get involved? And so, yeah, um. BAM, Becoming a Man is a program with youth guidance. And ultimately, it's an in-school-based program that focuses on young men specifically in some of the rougher parts of America um, and actually London now. So oh, wow. Yeah, so they've expanded. They're continually expanding. Um, were not, they were they from Chicago originally? Yeah, so or? it started in in Chicago, and I actually, I'm working in the sector that is brand new. We're establishing a BAM within North Chicago and but specifically Waukegan. Um, so I'm at Waukegan High School, and basically we are a form of in school therapy, but we it's all subliminal. It, it, we sneak in men's rites of passages we make it it's it's intended to be masculating and, and encourage you to speak about things that are going on in order to help so it's 100 percent talk therapy with the theme of men empowerment and men's rites of passages uh we sit we literally sit in circles but can you can you expand on men's rites of passages so yeah we sit in circles and um, we do talk therapy ses sessions. Like group therapy? Like group therapy. Men's rites of passages are like, so have you seen the movie 300? Yeah, I have. And you don't necessarily need to have seen the movie to understand what I'm saying. But in the beginning of this Neanderthal masculine movie of warriors and kings and all of that, and kingdoms. There was a young boy that had to prove himself to his community by killing like the most ferocious, ferocious beast in all the land. And he ended up killing the beast, but that was like a societal um, thing that that group did. It was just like a pressure. Exactly. Point. And not necessarily a pressure because that's how that society operated. Basically, BAM is a, a man's rites of passage in the way that we work on communicating in a 
the theme of the curriculum, it, it's strongly based around Native American culture. We, even from the rhetoric, we say things like a shea after someone has said something or opened up. And a shea basically means I'm affirming you. Thank you for sharing that portion of yourself with the group. So men's rites of passage is the way that we do it. We sit around as you and I are right now, we're sitting and we're conversing. We basically teach young men how to conversate, how to positively express anger, how to respect women, um, how to have a visionary goal setting, how to hold themselves accountable in conversations, in their relationships with other people, um, with their schoolwork, and we just ultimately model a productive citizen. And the goal, the, the, the ultimate goal is to keep these kids out of jail, 100%. Um, so we're strategically placed in, in communities that need it the most to make a positive influence on young men. So every BAM counselor is over a specific school in which they recruit and they influence groups of young men, 60 to 100 young men within the school, just how to be productive citizens. Um, yeah, man, and then, so basically, we're given a list of resources that we can allocate to the betterment of these kids over a period of the school year. Um, and it's up to us to affirm them positively to work with them consistently and to just be there throughout the school day. And um, it's really deep. So with my boys, I call them my boys because they really are. Yeah. Um, you know, I built a relationship with a group of young men in the school, you know, and um, it, I won't say too much. I probably can't say too much, but these young men are really going through a lot and um, I'm sure there's a lot of challenges there. Yeah, and um, to say it without saying it, I was recruiting a specific young group of kids. It just was like discernment. Like someone in my spirit told me like, I walked past them in, in, in the hallway after they kind of brushed me off a little bit. I walked past them, I circled back, and I'm like, that's probably just a front. I circled back, this is the fact that I spent time with them they instantly opened up. You gotta build that trust. Yeah, kids and men alike and women alike, we have barriers, you know what I mean? Like, but- Like automatic defensiveness. Exactly. Right. So, you know, I kind of made it through that with them and I told them, hey, I'm your resource. I told them the room that I'm in, I let them know, you know, just come down whenever, just have a conversation with me. All right, all right. I bring them food for a week, no yeah. one shows. Not a single soul shows. And yeah. I, I'm buying money, or spending my yeah. own money. Like I'm like, nah, my boy's gonna, they gonna show today. They're gonna show up. They Today's the day. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't show, man. And um, you know, I hadn't, I'd known, they're on the radar. They're on the radar for the police. They're on the radar for the school. My boys, they, they're known for stealing cars. And um, a couple of them had gotten caught up with illegal guns. I mean, we have to be transparent because we're in Chicago and this is what's going on. This, this our, is real life. Yeah, our youth, they're stealing cars every day. They 
have no remorse for it. If they can put it back <laughs> in a position, you know what I mean? You hear about it on the news, but you never know who yeah. it is or why they did it or right. how you can help right. or anything. You just make, a, you know... Assumptions. Assumptions yeah. and, you know... But they're doing... it. I mean, a broad stroke. They're doing it to survive, you know? There's reasons for everything. I'm not saying that these kids are stealing cars for good reasons. No, I'm not allocating for that. But that is a situation at hand. Young men in general, let's be real, are getting their hands. Young unqualified men are getting their hands on weapons of mass destruction. And they shouldn't have these weapons. Yeah. They shouldn't be allowed to get these guns. And they are. There's guns on the spectrum of white people and there's guns on the spectrum of black people. You know, there's guns that are being placed. I'm not even gonna get into that, but there's guns that you can go buy at Walmart, you swipe your card. Like, the point of the matter is there's guns everywhere and they're getting into the wrong hands of people. Although they're used for self-defense, yeah. And everyone should have the right to own a gun. Unfortunately, there is another side to these weapons. And when the youth get them, uh, a mind that is not yet mature enough to understand and hold himself accountable the for the decisions. Exactly. The environment, all the systematic stuff, and all of the music and movies that are influencing them to be a cowboy all play a part in what happens. But my boys felt the need to protect themselves because they had some guys going after them. Right. And one weekend, mind you, my kids would not show up. I'm still calling them my boys. I, I had believed in them, you know, and I'm buying donuts for y'all and donuts yes. are expensive <laughs> these days. <laughs> Everything's 25, expensive. Yeah, $25 every day, y'all are going to show up. So on the day that I had brought pizzas, I brought pizzas, man, because I'm like, I gotta give up. Like, I would promise one kid one thing, and then they wouldn't show, and then I just felt the need to be open for these kids that full week um, during that recruitment process. But anyways, a weekend had passed, and I had heard all over the news that there was a shooting, and it was a 14-year-old boy, and I teach juniors and seniors. I don't teach, I'm sorry, I'm not a teacher. I'm a contracted educator underneath my own company, but I am a youth counselor contracted um, through this organization. However, I'm, I'm flipping through the channels and I see a 14-year-old boy had passed away. I get to work on that Tuesday, because Monday we don't go in on Tuesdays. We're active with the kids on Mondays we're doing cohorts where we're either doing our own mental health work or learning the curriculum, learning additional parts of the curriculum and ways that we can handle the moving parts and dealing with kids and education. I show up on Tuesday and all of the boys that I was recruiting hard were in the circle that I had taught them to be in, yeah. in this men's rites of passage circle early on time <laughs> and um, their eyes were wide open. And one of, I, I asked them, you know, general conversation, 
I don't bug them. That's the thing. Like, this is all subliminal. What's going on, y'all? Y'all yeah. good? What's up? Man, one of our homies just died. You know, I, I sit and I talk to those boys about being a man, literally, literally and figuratively. But I think, you know, the thing that gets me through the hard times is being able to be there for them. I don't know what it is, but if I didn't mentor, I don't know, that's just a major part of me. Um, because in turn, like I, I mentioned earlier, actually those kids helped me realize that I need to continue on what I'm doing because I'm making an impact just by saying, hey, you got this today. And that's deeper than it can get. You know, I played catch with a young man. Actually, so I was blessed with the opportunity to be able to take, I want to say that was about like, it was, it was under 100 young men to my alma mater, which was the University of Illinois um, in Champaign, Urbana. And that's where I pledged my fraternity, Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated, Pi Psi Chapter. Um, so it was a lot of feels incorporated with going back to where I graduated. Yeah. And I was able to organize basically just a, a community event around us coming uh, with all of the people that were still there and just the different connections. We had both black fraternities and sororities, Latino uh, fraternities and sororities. We just exposed kids to something other than where they grew up and a lot of them hadn't even been out of the city that they were born and raised in. Um, Which is something we don't really think about too often. We don't, we don't. And like we get to travel and go places and see different, you know, right. things. And as we're driving from Waukegan to U of I, we're driving through the loop and a lot of the kids are like, I've never seen this. Be and I, I feel bad that, That's crazy. I feel awful that this is the situation. And I'm talking to the kids because I'm so deep into aquariums. I'm like, oh, y'all have been to the shed, right? I had to stop saying things like that. Because, because you're just assuming yeah, something you assume, outlandish, essentially. Yeah, like, oh, we've all been able to see things like this. But the truth of the matter is not all of us have been able to see things that a lot of us have been blessed to be able to see. Like, I, like, complain about going to the shed now. I'm like, right? I've been there so many times. And if you're not careful, that can kind of creep into, you know, your mindset of other things. And I'm guilty of it, too. I'm super guilty of it. but Which is something we can work on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we have to. It's an everyday thing. Yeah. But I think that, like, just being around the youth is what keeps me this humble because, you know, I just, I'm just relating it to when I was young and wished that there was more or was experiencing what I consider to be more. And I just feel like there's a lot of resources in Chicago and not the resources aren't always allocated. And Properly. right. And then once you're in a position, because I've been in education for so long, I've been driving this community based, educational based program, Musicaria, based upon the needs that I see. You know, it, it's unfortunate, but there's rules, politics, stipulations around educating the kids in the way that they need to be educated yeah. and being able to teach them what they need to be taught. Everyone always wants to say, oh, they don't teach that in school. 
there's politics behind that. And it's one thing to say that and make that acknowledgement, but you have to be active. If you can make that observation, well, it's time to create an organization yeah. that can make that change or can influence something positive. Which is what you did with Musicquaria. Which is basically in a nutshell what I did and my frustrations lied within, I wanted to run my organization in my way and you still have to run it in an appropriate way. Of course. You still have to, you know, go through guidelines. You can't be rogue, but As just, much as you want to. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. But I think the thing right now is so the, there's baby boomers, <laughs> and then there's our generation, and we just do things so different. Completely. And I just think that education, the way that we teach these kids has to be different, and we can't wait until... There's no time for that. No, yeah, because we're... Right now, these kids are in school, so we have to actively... There has to be a system put in place to where we're um, refreshing and like upgrading this education you, system. You can't catch them after school. No, because these kids are actively learning. Like, yeah. while we're sitting here saying we should do something, these they're, kids they're, are in class. Yeah. And they're that year bored. passed, that year passed. Yeah, and they're using the same textbooks that we used 20 years ago. So, to summarize, man, you, you took a problem and you created a solution for it. That is the most incredible thing oh, that somebody can do. Realistically, and you did it in such a cool way where you tied in your passion of aquatics and fish, and you're not only solving problems on ground level, but you're expanding. You're not even just, hey, kids, don't do the X, Y, and Z. Yeah. You're, hey, don't do X, Y, and Z, and come learn this. Yeah, that's thank that's, you for them. <laughs> dude, come on, man. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> that's that That inspires me. And it should inspire anybody listening to go do something a little differently, man. Thank you, man. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm truly moved by the, the experiences that you just shared. It's not something that I'm attuned to every single day, of course. Oh, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm blessed that, you know, you're able to make that observation because, like, we're just these observations, like you said, like, I don't know, maybe I needed a second to realize the impact but it's that means a lot that you can look at me after hearing what i, I just said about my day-to-day -day and for you to be you know positively affected like that means everything Sweet. and and you know i think that that being able to positively affect the people that you care about most is really what for me keeps me going yeah. You know, but and, and I would say for me, I just I genuinely care so much about the kids of Chicago because I'm still a Chicago kid. <laughs> I still haven't grown up yet. Oh, we're all kids. bro. Yeah, I'm still a kid. Yeah. Um, and I just see myself in all of these young men because, I mean, it, it takes a, it takes a community to raise kids. And I think right now we're kind of seeing what happens when you don't raise kids because we need to keep it 100. Like, while there are amazing parents out here, and I'm sure that there's more amazing parents than there are bad parents, there are still bad parents out here and their kids. You know, I mean, it's when a child or young person doesn't get the attention that they need, it's easy for a person to want to be violent because that's, Violence is just you're expressing your frustration. Of 
you know, and we're all frustrated. But if I didn't have some of the tools that I had or stumbled across or like got put into my path, then I wouldn't be a productive person right now. I may not have even been able to walk up these stairs to come talk to you today. What do you think made you this person then? I know you've had some experiences with mental health and I think we can get into that a little bit. Yeah, thank you for asking me that. So I think it, it, it's my experiences. Um, you know, growing up, both of my parents actually had cancer multiple times. And this whole aquarium thing, it really started with fishing. I would, um, I relaxed in front of the water and, and you know, like I'm just into the nature of it. But when my, pa my parents started going through like everything that they were going through, I think the only bit of nature that I could really be around were the aquariums that were in the cancer, cancer center of America treatment centers and, and all of the additional treatment centers that my parents would go to. There was always an aquarium. You know, I would, I would come home from school and I would do my homework in front of the aquarium. Or like, you know, it would be too sticky of a, a situation where like my family just, I was too young to be in that room when my family, my parents are going through the pain and things like that. So specifically my aunt who bought me my first aquarium, my godmother, um, she would take me to the aquariums in the lounge. When my mom had me, she actually was going through extreme bouts of breast cancer and she had a um, vasectomy. So nearly as soon as I was born, you know, my grandparents raised me, the people in the church, they raised me while my parents were very sick. And I'm so happy and so blessed to be able to say that, you know, both of my parents are cancer free. Thank God. Yeah, but even after cancer, it's a battle, you know, the things that you go through and the after effects of the radiation is painful. So it, cancer survivors are just built different and they being raised by people that are that wise because of the situations in their lives, not knowing if they're going to make it. You know, I'm sure my parents raised me in a different way, but long story short, you know, my passion and, and all of that, it stems from my parents having cancer and me needing to use these glass boxes filled with fish and plants as, you know, a way to kind of escape all of the negative thoughts I have in my mind. And then once I got into the craftsmanship of it, I think like an artistry just kind of took over and it was like all that I could think about because I'm sitting here like kind of soaking in all of these emotions, like are my parents gonna be okay? You know, I was able to kind of uh, leverage that enthusiasm and, and passion and just all of that emotion that I was sitting through. I'll keep it 100 when I'm, you know, looking at those fish tanks, man. Like um, now I can take the, the sadness that I had, you know what I mean? and turn it into art. So I create aquariums that are 
emotionally evoking. I want, I want, I want an aquarium that I work on to make you think about your childhood, like peaceful times that you've had. And I think you asked me earlier, like, when did I realize I made an impact? I actually, I caught my wife. She was crying in front of one of my aquariums and just crying and praying. So I think that was when I, I was already taking it serious. At that point in time, I had already had a retail store, an aquarium retail store, you know, I, but to see that type of um, emotion coming from her when I'd never told anyone, but I'm actually creating these aquariums because of, um, you know, the things that I'm trying to escape from, you know, the things, the visions of things that unfortunately I have seen that have scarred me and made me who I am. But, you know, I've seen a lot of death. I've seen my friends pass seen some of my best friends pass away. And then the natural deaths, you know, my grandmother, when she passed, like, she allowed me to turn her whole basement into an aquarium store. I, I started off by selling uh, fish and refurbished aquariums out of her basement, man. So this is a real, like, emotional thing for me. I think that I'm able to um, just leverage how I feel and turn it into something that leaves an impact on people. And that is what I'm most proud of. Um, but yeah, yeah. I can resonate with that. I don't know if you knew this, but my dad had cancer throughout high school. And unfortunately he didn't make it, uh, but cancer patients, cancer survivors and the family of cancer patients or survivors are very resilient people. Yeah. It's something that I'd never wish on anyone because the the pain is indescribable, but there is always a silver lining of gratefulness, resilience, um, a deeper understanding of life, what it means and how to be there for your people. Absolutely. So although I, I'm i very happy to hear that both your parents are okay, I, I think I understand the long-lasting impact of it. I still have conversations with my mom. My dad passed away nearly 12 years ago, mm. and the pain hasn't lessened a single bit. Yeah. And the cancer, I think the way it happens makes it worse because you just see somebody you know, in that state, and it's it's not something you ever want to see somebody go through. Yeah. But I understand the the nature aspect of it and the healing of it. Mm -hmm. I had fish tanks growing up my whole life, and I think we have a similar experience of I grew up in my grandparents' home. Mm -hmm. My uncles and aunts raised me. My aunt got me my first first fish tank wow. as well. There's something about walking into a room with uh, an aquarium in it, and it just brings kind of a peace. And I remember just being in my room when I was, you know, 16, 17 years old when my when my dad got diagnosed, and I had a 55 gallon in my my room, and it was just I would sit there and just watch it. Yeah. And there's a therapeutic level that 
unless you've experienced it, you wouldn't really understand. Yeah. And the way you're building those emotions through the fish tanks is like something I've never heard of before. And like, that just is incredible. And I can't wait for you to build my fish tank now <laughs> because I want to capture that piece through it again. I think daily pieces of fleeting feeling. Yeah, absolutely. We all know happiness is a fleeting feeling, but pieces as well. And if you can capture that on a daily, whether it's through your art, through nature, through an animal, hats off to you for, for evoking that emotion, man. Thank you, man. And thank and you for sharing, you know, that aspect of your life with me, like genuinely. You know, you know I'm here for you, bro. Of course, brother. You know, I'm, Much love. I'm here forever and always, bro. And I don't. I think that was something that you were actively going through. And I knew you were going. You would tell me you were going through things. And I think that's when we kind of like fell off. Like we both kind of were recluse. Yeah. You know what I mean? And but I do vividly remember you rapping about the things that you yeah. were going through, and I felt it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like for you to come out and tell all of us, all the people that are drastically different than us, who you are and what you were about at such a young age in such a large way was more than inspiring enough for me. And I remember, you know, when we graduated, you and Trey were rapping, yeah. you, Parker, <laughs> you know, I remember all of that. And I'm sitting back like, I'm inspired because they speak in their minds. Yeah. So now nah, I thank you for that because I was inspired. I left inspired. I love that. You know, and, and I was, I was young. We were young, and uh, we were just trying to figure it out. About to go off to college, and um, yeah, I remember that man. So I think this is what I want to use this for too. Now is to bring that inspiration back and mm -hmm. tap into these like very deep. Very deep emotions. Oh, man. it's back, baby. Yeah. It's back. It's yeah, back. we doing it. <laughs> yeah. We doing it. But yeah. yeah, man, like, I'm proud of both of us. Me too, and brother. All of our people, you know, that as so many people that it was all love in high school, we're going to focus on the positives. It's yes. people yeah. that was all love in high school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, even though, like, we haven't talked to a lot of them, like, it, it really is all love. So if y'all listen to this, like, it really is all love. You know, we hope y'all doing good. Absolutely. Everybody from Sandberg and whatnot. Like, we had a good time. We had a, a learning experience. And um, I think another thing that made me who I was were the experiences of and the culture shock of leaving the city, leaving what... I knew my entire life. Um, Auburn Gresham, 79th Street. That's where I grew up. And I've, I've literally traveled all over the world since then. But seeing how the south side of Chicago is and then you drive up north and, and you realize how many different Chicagos there are is a culture shock, man. And being one of few black or brown people in these well-off areas, you know, having, learning how to communicate and speak to all different types of people is a skill. It's a fucking skill. Is a skill. And 
let's talk about it, you know? I think we can both relate to that. Yeah, because I dealt with so much racism in high school. You know, I had someone call me a nigger at the lunch table. I'm riding my bike back home. Someone is pulling in my driveway, calling me a nigger. Like, and these are things that we don't all experience these things, but we have to be honest and transparent. Like there are people that go through these things and everyone has it was like truth. so normal though yeah. for these kids to say that shit yeah. like being an arab and oh man <laughs> like yeah. it's it's not necessarily on the same level but no you know, it is everyone no bro don't even say that we all have certain levels of offenses like when you are offended that is your truth you are offended you know what but I it, mean? it fucks with you it fucks with your personality it fucks with who you are it fucks with like it's like, who the fuck am I? Am I just some yeah. fucking Arab? Am yeah. I, you know? And like, there was a lack of support for, I mean, we, I'm not going to say like we were like the city schools. No. Nah. But in terms of positive male role models, even though we were in the city, there was still a lack of um, representation of positive role models it was just more so people that are signing in they're clocking in and they're clocking out if there wasn't that hey when you get older make sure this is straight do hey, this do, do this. this yeah there was none of that yeah at all so i feel you on that you know i i'm just speaking for the general consensus of education in general we need more we need more mentorship just period yeah. so i have my little brother goes to Sandberg right now, oh, yeah. which is crazy to think about. Uh, he's a, he's going to be a sophomore, and you know he was bullied his freshman year, and it's just like I feel like Sandberg's a toxic ass place, man. It's a toxic place. It, that says a lot about the area, yeah, and the ignorance that that type of wealth can create. Yeah, it's like not a super affluent area, but it's like it's there. Yeah. You know, upper middle class. Um, but that doesn't cure ignorance. It actually invokes it, it, I think. Yeah. And to think now we graduated over about 10 years ago and yeah. the same things are happening there. Exactly. What the fuck can we do about it, man? Yeah. Um, now that's a good question. Um, all we can do is be active within, you know, the lives that we can reach wow. and, be, you know, uh, positive and encouraging to, to those that are going through it. And hopefully, you know, our voices will be able to encourage someone, you know, hey, we went through it and um, it was very tough, but it, things that are tough that you go through make you who you are. And um, that's huge. And I think it took us a minute to figure that oh, out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, one thing that upsets me it doesn't upset me. It just shows the lack of wisdom that someone has. You know, when people think that because of your race or your religion or, I mean, and we can really get, get into it, any type of social norm box that someone wants to put you in, that you're supposed to speak or act a certain way. We've already talked about acting. Oh, my God. But let's talk about speaking a certain way. For someone to say, hey, 
you talk for a black person, you talk have you, have you like experienced a white that? person. Mac, get the hell up out of here. I experience that regularly. Fuck that. And I think, I mean... You they, speak so eloquently, man. Oh, thank you. Fuck off. Thank you. Man. Thank you. And I, I just thought to myself one day, so what did y'all want me to speak like? And when you speak like you're from the hood, baby. Yeah. And the thing is, like... <laughs> the fuck? It was funny because I was renting a house in Orland Park. I was traveling back to 79th Street every day. So I was frustrated because I'm dealing with the stuff on the block. But I got people talking about some, you sound like a white boy. Pressing you. And I'm like, well, shit, I'm just trying to make it. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm being myself and I'm communicating effectively. So I think that it's a slap in your own face if you have that mindset because communication oh is a skill. You see what I'm saying? And if I wasn't able to communicate, I wouldn't have my businesses. No. I, it, it, what did you want me to speak like? But I think the thing that is the most sad about people that think like that is you are admitting that you believe that white is superior in knowledge, in, in wisdom. And there are white people that are smarter than me and there are black people that are smarter than me. However, There's everything that are smarter. <laughs> exactly. However, just because you know TV and and whatever says that this is how white people talk, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're literally you're taking yourself out of equations that you don't even know that you need yourself. You need to be able to speak and communicate and. I'm just looking at some of the people that gave me the hardest time and I'm not going back on them like this, but I'm just saying like, I'm just very happy that I didn't listen to them. Oh yeah. And I'm happy that I can effectively communicate. You know how I communicate with you? Oh. Where you are comfortable, mm -hmm. you trust me. Yeah. And you're able to share things. Exactly. That's how I communicate with you. Right. Do I speak a little differently around you? Maybe, but we're, mm -hmm. we, but that doesn't mean anything i'm not gonna talk to a stranger the way i talk to you right but i don't speak to you in the way i speak to you because you're black exactly it's because regardless of what was going to come out of your mouth it was going to come out that way i don't think about it yep you know what i'm saying so yeah man like that's crazy though that mm -hmm. you've actually because i hear it all the time like oh you, man like one of my best friends from law school is black and She's dealt with this shit before too. Yeah, and uh, you know, we have the comfort and confidence level now to joke about it, right? Where it's like, all right, we can laugh it off. Yeah, you know, of course, there's some anger there and some frustration, but like, we talk about it all the time. Like, it's the person who's like, oh no, sh shut up, I'll speak for you or I'll speak on your behalf. Like, I got this for you, yeah. type of shit, and that's the most infuriating thing ever, bro. Yeah. What am I supposed to speak like? I'm brown. What am I supposed to speak like? Exactly. Or should I have an accent? Right. And I think, honestly, as a young man, that was the first time I recall myself getting frustrated. I'm easygoing. I'm very patient. But I remember someone tried to put me in a box before I even could really understand what they were trying to say. And I don't even remember in which way, but I just, the first time I ever got offended... You know, and it's not something I'm holding on to, but it was so memorable. 
and it was just around the the baseline of me being black, I'm supposed to like these certain things when literally my mind was on something completely different. It has nothing to do with you being black or white. We are all individuals and um, you, we deserve individual respect. You know what I'm saying? But last time I checked, I mean, I don't even have to tell you who I was raised by, you yeah. know? And I don't need anyone else to tell me what they think, honestly. Mm -hmm. At that point in time, to be 100% with you, you know, that's when business took off, when you stopped making decisions uh, emotionally based or based off of, like, you're encouraging me to own the shit. Yeah. You're encouraging, like, you know what I mean? Like, prior to decisions like that, you know, I had to shed that kind of outside... Um, chatter of other people because other people don't get my bills paid true and that's just what it is man i've started finding secession in what i knew you know i i went i've been doing this whole aquarium thing honestly from basements from garages yeah from u-haul units uh from my trunk for 10 plus years um I, for some reason, as an entrepreneur, I thought that, like, when I get the retail store, it's going to be, like, the end-all, be-all, like, oh, I've made it, blah, blah, blah. But honestly, all that came with was more problems, more money spent, and a lot more bullshit, <laughs> you know? Um, but you learn from that. You learn from that, and you pivot as an entrepreneur when you can pick yourself up and say, hey, like... That necessarily wasn't the move to make. The quicker you can pivot, the faster you'll get to the goal and whatever your goal is. But you have to be able to brush that off and not be prideful and saying like, oh, no, I'm going to hold on to this. It's going to come. If it, Hey, if it's not going to work, you know, it's not going to work. Just but, own it and keep moving forward. Yeah. It's the same thing with growing as an individual and taking those bullshit-ass comments you used to get mm -hmm. in stride. Like, I can see your confidence. I haven't seen you in 10 years. And <laughs> Thanks, I can see your confidence shining through <laughs> Thanks, way man. more. Even just through this conversation, man. Like, yeah. what you've done and what you've accomplished, be it Musicaria, BAM. Thanks, man. The influence you've had on the youth in Chicago and otherwise. Um, your growth as a businessman. It's... It's something to behold, man. I love it. Thank you, man. No, I, I, I genuinely appreciate that, bro. Honestly. But yeah, it's... Um, and, you know, I think the thing that we all have to realize is that, you know, tomorrow isn't promised. And honestly, I wasn't going to do any of this. Honestly, I didn't, I didn't think that my ideas were even good enough. I used to... I really genuinely used to think that but I think the thing that got me out of that was when I realized that God is only allowing you so many days on earth to be able to think about the things that make you this happy or so many days to do the mission that he's put in your mind. And all of the ideas that you have in the front and the back of your mind are more than good enough. And... That's what God has showed me, you know, you know, and he showed me that you shouldn't, 
you shouldn't live like, you know, you shouldn't necessarily anticipate death, but you have to account for it, you know? So I think every day after a switch happened, you know, continuously losing people that I really cared about, I think I, I thought about my own death and what did I want to leave behind for the people... <clears throat> <laughs> the people I care about, you know what I mean? And uh, and that's when I went full throttle and decided to pursue aquatics at the highest level that I knew how to. I started putting myself in positions where I knew the doors would be closed, but I'm still going to ask. I'm still going to shake hands. I'm still going to network. I, I don't, I didn't care. It didn't matter what it took in terms of legitimate business, you know, I just wanted to, um, I wanted to make my mark, you know, in, from an artistic standpoint and from an educational and mentorship standpoint. So I, I'm saying that to say, I don't necessarily think that death should be your driving force, mm -hmm. but you have to be really cognizant of the fact that we only have so much time and how would you feel if you suddenly passed and the the idea that you have in your mind was not complete. I just feel like that's not a waste of life necessarily because you still lived here on earth with that energy, but I, I couldn't leave earth without people knowing how positively these things affected me because people have helped me out and I just want to help other people out mental health is of the utmost importance and I found so much peace in all of my passions I turned my passion into a business so that now everyone can kind of share this passion with me and then I also turned my passion into an educational curriculum around aquatic science so that these kids know that Mr. Bush really loves fish yeah. that's, that's all that I care about they know Man, Mr. Bush loves fish I love that so much and <laughs> And honestly, that, that, that hits me so hard because I've, I've struggled with my mental health. Um, and I spoke on it in, in a couple episodes, but you lose sight of that, that time is limited and that, you know, get your ideas out, get your, get your, your body moving, get your ideas moving. Um, but man, there's been so many days where I felt like stuck, you know, but it's so it feels so good to hear you speak on that and for me to feel like this is what I'm doing right now. Yeah. I'm getting that idea out yeah. and I'm moving and I'm doing, I'm getting to that point, mm -hmm. right? I'm getting to the point of I'm making an impact. Yeah. Somebody might listen to this, might help an inner city kid. Somebody might listen to this, get an aquarium, mm -hmm. tap into their peace yeah. type of thing, right? Yeah. So I appreciate you sharing that aspect and, and I think that in summary, man, you're a very resilient person who is doing great things on this earth, and I'm I'm blessed to know you, and I'm so happy that I reconnected with you. Yeah, man. Um, I don't feel like we ever lost connection, but we're 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 sparking it back up, and yeah. I've learned so much in this last hour, and I appreciate you so much. Oh man, I appreciate you, man. I've you know this has encouraged me. And 
you know, I this touched my heart, man. Thank you for even thinking about me and inviting of course, me brother. And, and having me over to this beautiful place, talking on these beautiful microphones. Like, I genuinely appreciate you, man. And um, yeah, thanks for being a part of my life, man. Of course, man. I appreciate man, you, Man, we're just getting started. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Man. We're yeah, just getting started, man. man. So yeah, I'm I'm proud of you, bro. And I, I'm I'm just I'm elated to be a part of anything that you have going on. Thank you, brother. Anytime. That means so much to me. Anytime, bro. Yeah. Mr. Bush. Mac. My boy. <laughs> Thanks so much, man. I appreciate you. Of course, you. man. Love, All right, brother. Bro. Love. Peace. Peace.